You're listening to You've Been Hanged, hosted by Hank Griffin, writer, man of faith, Parkinson's warrior, traveling man, and storyteller. Wonderful stories, home cooking, thoughtful lessons, and candor about life with Parkinson's are his to share. Relax for the next several minutes with your friend, neighbor, and brother who loves you. your people wind up in Texas, I asked, rocking gently in his dry, cracked, bare wooden rocker, smoking a cool light menthol 120, I watched him. I saw that his hair, once a sort of dark, gunmetal gray, was now bright silver. He raised the filtered cigarette butt to his lips. Upon inhaling, the lid end burned bright in the shadow of the protected back porch. You already know that story, Uncle Carl said. My younger brothers and I loved to listen to the old man tell his tales. Uncle Carl was painfully shy in front of most people, but if it were just us boys there, we knew he couldn't deny us a story if we asked for it. As this one fell under the heading of important family history, we knew our well-loved great-uncle would eventually give in. One of the younger boys, and then the other joined in. Please, Uncle Carl, yes, please tell us how you came to Texas. Most of our family had been in Texas for generations. Uncle Carl, though, originally came from Oklahoma. You know, we were cotton farmers, the old man began. Us boys sprouted wide, toothy grins. We sat quietly in the shade of cedar and pecans on that back porch, nominally protected from the warming sun. There we waited for our elderly uncle to get good and warmed up. Originally, Dad had 180 acres. He had to sell half of it off at one point. We farmed the remaining half and raised two bales of cotton each year. We did all the work. There was no money to hire anyone. We broke the ground, plowed the ground, planted the seed, hoed the weeds out of it, and when the time came, we picked it every single bit, all by ourselves and all by hand. All that we had to help us work the ground was two teams of mules, which Dad and I Worked together. Uncle Carl stopped speaking a moment. We watched as his eyes took on that faraway look he often got when he was remembering a life before, well, before any of us, even our parents were born. He drew a final lungful of smoke from the all but exhausted cigarette in his hand, then crushed the remaining ember into the top of the old steel craftsman vice mounted on the very dry, bare wooden table that sat next to his rocking chair. We had hard times then. The Great Depression was on. And to make it worse, we had the Dust Bowl to deal with. Dad was, he's pretty smart. And every year when the cotton crop came in, Dad planted a crop of peas over the ground. One of the younger boys asked, why'd he do that? And the Dust Bowl was terrible, the old man said. Every year it stripped more of the topsoil away from the land. With each passing year, there was less farmland to grow crops of any kind. More and More families, friends that we'd known a long time. People we'd been farming that part of Oklahoma with for years and years moved away. Dad planted peas as a cover crop. What's a cover crop? Our youngest brother wanted to know. A cover crop, something that helps to keep the soil in place so that it won't blow away in the wind. You plant it so the ground isn't bare after your main crop is harvested. Men from the government used to come and talk to the farmers about how to preserve the land. Some of it was helpful. Most of it wasn't. Dad did his best. Did it help? I asked. Yeah, 
And for a while, trouble was, so many of the farms in the area were lost. The damage was so severe that even though our land was in better shape than most, being surrounded by hungry, growing desert means that our farm was eventually going to be lost too. Finally, the year came, there was nothing more that we could do. The farm could no longer produce crops. We had to move or starve. Where'd you go? One of the boys asked. California, Uncle Carl said. California? Why? There's an opportunity to work there. And we had family in California. There were so many people out of work from the Depression, and so many farmers lost their farms because of the Dust Bowl. It was important to try to go somewhere that work could be had. Listening to the old man, I had a strong sense of the loss that he felt. The family had lost the only way of life they'd ever known in his lifetime. The farm was consumed by the Dust Bowl. No cotton could be grown there. Hunger was, for the first time, a real threat. So long as the farm continued to be viable, Uncle Carl's family could grow and raise food. They might not have proper shoes and clothes or luxuries of any kind, but they they ate pretty well at a time when far too many were going hungry. Sitting there on our great uncle's dry, bare wood back porch, listening to the spell of his story, our family story, I felt a sense of gravity. Around me, the sun's heat sought its way past the shade that protected us. The afternoon was wearing on. Squirrels chittered from the safety of high pecan branches. They ran, chasing one another from tree to tree, knocking bits of debris onto the tin roofs of the house, smokehouse, and tractor shed. A mockingbird sang. I looked to see where it rested. The fig tree? No. One of the cedars? No. Where then? Looking, I saw clumps of young poke salad growing along the fence that separated the yard from the pasture. Above those tender shoots was the mockingbird perched atop a persimmon tree. I thought a moment about what it would mean for Uncle Carl to lose this farm that he loved so well. My vision blurred as tears moistened the corner of my eyes. I don't understand, the youngest of us said. You're going to California. How'd you wind up in Texas? Our middle brother shushed him. He's getting to that. Pay attention and you'll know. Dad worried that he'd die in California. He didn't want to go without first coming to Texas to say goodbye to his brother, Uncle Andrew. Is Uncle Andrew our uncle, too? He's my dad's brother, so he's my uncle. I'm your granddad's brother and your great-uncle. I think that makes him your great-great-uncle, but don't hold me to it. We boys marveled at this, never ever supposing we had a great-great-uncle. Is Uncle Andrew alive now? No, he died years ago. We grew quiet then. There was a sense of sadness in his voice. Uncle Andrew and Dad had both been gone for a long time, he said. At this, Uncle Carl reached into his shirt pocket and pulled out a pack of cool menthol 120s. He took one out and placed it between his lips. Having replaced the pack of cigarettes in his shirt pocket, he then reached into the pocket of his well-worn blue jeans and from it withdrew a silver-colored Zippo lighter. I heard the familiar ring of its opening. The wheel turned and sparked in his expert fingers. Smoke and the smell of smoke filled the previously fresh air. Uncle Carl inhaled deeply, replaced the lighter in his jeans pocket, and remained silent for the space of time it took to smoke the first quarter of the cigarette. Then, perhaps feeling more himself, our great-uncle continued, Yeah, we came to Texas to say goodbye to Uncle Andrew. While we were here, my brother Jim caught the diphtheria. I can't recall any of the many, many times that Uncle Carl related this important story that he did not refer to diphtheria as 
the diphtheria. What is the diphtheria? We wanted to know. It's real, real bad. You get it from cats. I don't like cats, our baby brother said. I like cats, the next youngest said. Just then, I wasn't entirely sure if I like cats or not. I was sure of one thing, though. I did not want to catch the diphtheria. Jim was real sick. So sick he couldn't travel. Dad decided to keep him here while he recovered. I'd stay with him to help. The rest of the family went on to California. Did Uncle Jim get better? Uncle Carl inhaled from his cigarette, blew the smoke out, and said, No, he died. We all sat silent for several moments, respectful of the spirit that then dwelt among us. Eventually, someone asked, What did you do? Jim had a half-Indian wife back in Gertie, Oklahoma. Oh, he loved her and wanted her to come with us when we left, but she just couldn't bring herself to leave her family. Dad loaded his body into the buckboard, hitched the mules to it, and drove his remains to be buried there near her. Why'd he do that? He thought it'd be cruel to bury Jim here away from her. Oh, when he came back from Gertie, did y'all go on to California? No. Dad and I had rented a farm and planted a crop of cotton. We stayed here to harvest it. By then, the rest of the family was beginning to get established there. He and I were pretty well established here. Dad liked being near Andrew again. It had been a long time, and he wanted to stay. We knew the story was finished. Uncle Carl said, I think I saw some poke salad on the fence row by the corral this morning when I was walking the bull to the pool and back. I saw some under the persimmon trees, I reported. You did? Yes, sir. Why, there might just be enough for supper. Would y'all eat poke salad for supper? Yes, sir. We loved this part of the year, and he knew it. The poke salad would only be tender for a few weeks, and that was fine. We really only enjoyed eating it two or three times before we got tired of it. The old man stood from his rocking chair, walked across the porch, reached up atop an old refrigerator long ago converted to a standing tool chest, and took down a small one-gallon red bucket. Let's go see if we can find enough to cook for our supper. I want to hold the bucket, the baby said. No, I want to hold it, the middle of us said. I wanted to hold the bucket, too, but dared not say so. Uncle Carl said, here's the handle. Why don't both of you boys hold on to it? And with this, my younger brothers were satisfied. Each held on to a side of the silver metal handle, grinning as they did so, each feeling a sense of having won something. I sort of felt left out, walked along with the mildest feelings of dissatisfaction until that sweet old man said, well, now, look at here. There on the fence row, in the shade of a persimmon, grew a beautiful specimen of poke salad. Why don't you help me cut this one? Uncle Carl passed me his case knife, opened, wiped clean, and guided me as I worked to cut the plant. Having cut the stem, a white milk-like fluid leaked from the plant. Now you boys hold the bucket still. Hank, drop it in there. In a half hour, we'd walk the fence rows along the driveway, the backyard, the haylot, and the corral. The bucket was filled to its top with poke salad. Our stomachs told us it was time to head back to the house to get supper started. Uncle Carl's house had no plumbing. It did boast electricity, but just barely. He used two stainless steel 55-gallon drum barrels to catch rainwater from the roof every time it rained. A bucket of drinking water sat on a small table made from a treadle sewing machine. In it floated a metal dipper used for drinking. In another bucket, the old man drew a gallon of water for cooking the evening meal. He lit the ancient gas stove there in the kitchen and set a pot of water there on to boil. 
The four of us returned to the back porch to sit and wait. Never eat poke salad until you've properly boiled it and rinsed it three times, Uncle Carl said. Why? We wanted to know. Did you see the white milk when Hank cut the stem earlier? He asked. Yes, sir. That's poison, Uncle Carl said. Poison? We were appalled. Yeah. Why are we eating poison? We ain't eating poison, he assured us. That's why you boil it three times. That cooks all the poison out of it. Why do people eat poke salad if it's poison? Because during the Great Depression, people were starving to death. Too many people. For want of anything to eat, we learned to eat poke salad. And to love it. We were desperate for enough to eat and had to learn to eat it safely. Well, why do we eat it now? Because it's delicious, he said. And it helps us remember important things. Once the poke salad was boiled, drained, and rinsed three times, Uncle Carl placed his blackened cast-iron skillet on the stove, where he started three strips of bacon to fry. When they were just about crisp, he set them aside, reserving the grease into which he placed the thrice-boiled poke salad and three eggs beaten and seasoned with salt and black pepper, the only spices Uncle Carl ever used. As the eggs began to harden, Uncle Carl stirred them. Before long, our supper was ready. The four of us sat and ate. As we did so, we thought of the day we'd shared, of our late Uncle Jim, who we never knew, of our family's history now better understood, and of many important things. And as usual, Uncle Carl was right. The meal was delicious. Much love, Hank. You've been hanked. Thanks for listening to You've Been Hanked. If you enjoyed today's episode, do us a favor. Like, share, subscribe, and comment. It's easy and really makes a difference. Please help Hank help others by increasing the reach of You've Been Hanked.